Thanks for joining us for another Sunday morning message from City Church. City Church meets downtown Iowa City, Iowa on the Pedestrian Mall on Sundays at 10.30 a.m. DM us on our Facebook page for more information or go to our website at www.iowacity.church. Uh, I'm going to start out just reading a passage from the Gospel of John. This is a conversation Jesus was having with his disciples about the future and what's to come. This is John chapter 16, verses 12 through 18. Here's Jesus. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears and he will tell you what is to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That's why I said the Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. Jesus went on to say, in a little while you will see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me. At this, some of his disciples said to one another, what does he mean by saying, in a little while you will see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me, and because I'm going to the Father? They kept asking, what does he mean by a little while? We don't understand what he's saying. All right, we're going to come back to this in just a moment. Um, the month of May was a big birthday month for our family. It was mine and Mark's and my dad's birthday and a bunch of other relatives, but because uh, several of us had COVID, we really didn't do any celebrating uh, around the time of our birthday and it was just like about a week ago we gave each other some belated birthday gifts uh, and I'm sure you guys know that the church celebrates a birthday right we celebrate the birth of Jesus on Christmas Day but the church also celebrates another birthday and it's one that's kind of new to the church calendar it's actually the birthday of the church and this is called Pentecost Sunday which how many of you guys have heard of Pentecost Sunday okay yeah and so Pentecost Sunday was last week, but I'm kind of giving it a belated honor this week, belated birthday honor to Pentecost Sunday. Pentecost is not a word that you run into often. I had a friend who was a new Christian and she went to church and she heard somebody like very passionately preaching and they used the word Pentecost and she went away and she said, it sounded like something scary. I don't, I don't know if I want anything to do with that. But Pentecost is actually just a Greek word for a Jewish festival. Uh, Pentecost was the day that marked the end of the harvest season. So um, the abundance had come in and you would bring an offering to God and then you would feast with your friends and family. And that was Pentecost for a Jewish person 2,000 years ago. It was a harvest festival. But it just so happens that Pentecost took on this new meaning for Christians. It so happened that just two months after Jesus was resurrected from the dead and after his ascension to the Father, Pentecost Sunday rolls around and all his disciples are gathered together on that day. They're praying together. They're seeking God and they're in a room in Jerusalem. They don't know it yet, but this is the day the church is going to have its birthday. The church is they will come to know it. Now, Jesus had been trying to prepare his disciples that he was going to go away, that they were not going to have access to him in the flesh anymore to guide them and console them and send them out and comfort them. And so he kept telling them, you know, don't worry, my spirit's going to come to you. The Holy Spirit's going to speak on my behalf. And just as the Father in heaven has given me all things, 
the Holy Spirit's going to give you what I have. It'll make known to you what I know that I've received from the Father, so don't worry. But the disciples had a really hard time processing this. They were like, wait, what? You're going away. What do you mean we're not going to see you? Um, we don't understand who's going to tell us what to do. And you guys may have heard of, anybody heard of attachment disorders? Okay, we form our attachment when we're infants. And studies show that babies who are really secure in their attachment to their primary caregiver, they don't cry when mom leaves the room because they know that if they have a need or they're hurting, mom will come back because mom always does. But then you have babies who uh, are insecure or have disordered or anxious attachment and, that's be and they get really upset when mom leaves the room and that's because they never know if mom is gonna meet their need or not. Sometimes she does, sometimes she doesn't and it creates this anxiety in, in this little child and we all attach to our primary caregivers, whether it's mom or dad. But I think of these disciples as a little bit like anxious children with an anxious attachment to Jesus. You know, he died. They didn't see him for three days. Um, and now he's saying he's leaving again. And how are they going to know what to do? Um, and it's hard for them to understand. Jesus actually wants to send someone who is as good and functionally better which is the Holy Spirit. And why is the Holy Spirit functionally better? Because the Holy Spirit is not contained to a physical body. The Holy Spirit can be with every believer all at once, all over the world, and, and is not constrained to a human body, God incarnate. The John passage that I read and the other passages in this scripture where the church is where the church arrived at its doctrine of the Trinity. You guys have probably heard of the doctrine of the Trinity. Trinity means three, and it's basically just the church's way of trying to explain a mystery, which nobody can ever do, but it's the best that we can to get at to say the Trinity means that God is three persons in one, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and they're flowing together, and they're working together, and they're giving to each other, and they're receiving from one another, and Jesus is telling his disciples, God will still be with you but not in the flesh. In other gospels, as Jesus is saying goodbye, he ascends into heaven as he waves goodbye to the disciples, but he makes it clear that even though he's commissioned them to go out and preach about him and make disciples of other people and all the nations, he makes it clear they should not try to do this without the Holy Spirit. They should not try to just come up with their own strategy. But he was saying the Spirit, if you wait for it, is going to give you comfort and courage and boldness and supernatural insight and strategy and through the spirit there would be signs and wonders at the hands of the disciples so that people would be drawn to jesus so they would believe his message jesus tells them in luke chapter 49 i'm going to send you what my father has promised but stay in the city until you've been clothed with power from on high sending the holy spirit is like clothing them with power and then in the sequel to the Gospel of Luke, the book of Acts, we see the same encouragement from Jesus. Chapter 1, verse 4 through 8. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father promised, which you've heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked, 
Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It's not for you to know the times or the dates that the Father has set by his authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. This main parting message from Jesus was, Holy Spirit's coming to empower you so you can go preach my name and, and people can come to me and know me. Jesus was not interested in them having like some end times uh, theology. He was not interested in telling them whether the Jewish people would ever rule their own nation state again. Jesus just wanted to make sure they knew they needed the Holy Spirit. So fast forward 10 days from the time Jesus leaves, the apostles, along with 120 other believers, are all gathered in this upper room in a building in Jerusalem, and they're constantly in prayer. They're, they're waiting and they're praying. There's this Holy Spirit who's supposed to come. We don't know, you know, what's going to happen. But it's a real good thing that Jesus told them to wait for the Holy Spirit, because these guys are probably terrified right now that the same thing that happened to Jesus would happen to them. Um, they're not even close to being able to know how to strategize going out and preaching to all the nations. Uh, they're not feeling courageous. They're not feeling very powerful. They're not feeling very anointed. If you've heard that word anointed, it comes from the Old Testament, but we, we often use it to talk about this idea that there's a special gift from God, a special grace from the Holy Spirit to, to do something that will draw others to Jesus. You know, maybe it's to sing a song, like to lead people in worship, like Mayo did, or it's, or it's to offer compassion and mercy to people who are hurting. Or maybe it's to speak the perfect words of encouragement to someone at the perfect time, uh, anointed to draw people to Jesus through the Holy Spirit. Well, the apostles are not feeling it. They're not feeling very anointed. And you know, a key part of our mission here at City Church is to reveal the love of God to each other and to the world around us. But maybe some of you guys are sitting here like, yeah, I've never felt very anointed. Um, maybe you felt a little worried or a little weak or speechless when you even think about, gosh, how would I tell someone about my faith, especially in this culture that is not super friendly to Christianity right now. How would I tell them if I had the opportunity? I'm not really sure what words to say. I don't feel very brave. Maybe you also can't pinpoint any special gifts or graces God has put on your life um, for the benefit of others so that they could be drawn to the beauty of God. But this is how the disciples felt. So you're, you're not alone if that's how you're feeling. And, and this message is for all of us if that's where we find ourselves. So they're in this upper room, not feeling very anointed, not feeling very gifted, but praying and waiting. And then Pentecost comes. And they just think, oh, it's another feast day. The Jews are here in Jerusalem celebrating. But we read in Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. You guys remember the derecho of 2020? There was a derecho in the upper room, except nothing was blowing around, except these, this vision they all had of tongues of fire. 
okay? So these tongues of fire, they see just come and rest on each person in the room and they all start speaking in these other languages and and they're receiving power from the Holy Spirit. It kind of reminds me of like a Marvel scene where the superhero gets her power for the first time. Um, there's fire and there's electricity. There's a loud noise. What is God doing? Why? Why is he doing all this? Well, if we keep reading, we'll understand the significance of it. In verse 5, we read, Now, there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound of the derecho, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. They heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus in Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and, not, and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? So here is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's poured out on Jesus' disciples in such a way so that it captures the attention of everyone who's nearby. It causes these 120 believers to start speaking in no languages that they have never learned, that they did not grow up with. Now, there are two kinds of speaking in tongues that the Bible talks about. Um, and one is when uh, a person's baptized in the Holy Spirit and they pray in a spiritual language. It's not a language that anyone understands with their mind, but it's their spirit praying. That's one kind that the Bible talks about. And then there's this other kind of speaking in tongues, and that's what's happening here in this passage. The disciples are, are able to speak in languages they've never learned, but they're able to do it supernaturally. And they're given this special momentary gift to communicate with people about God in languages that is going to reach people from 15 different groups um, that were named. Now, before this moment, they had no strategy. They had no plan for how they were going to go about the known world, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth, to tell people about Jesus. They weren't particularly skilled or educated. Um, even if all of them split up into like 20 groups and they each did Rosetta Stone, like for one language, you know, for, for five years, it would still take forever for them to organize and figure out how to communicate with others about the gospel of Jesus. But the Holy Spirit accelerates the spread of the gospel in this one day by clothing them with power that Jesus said he would give them to enable them to be his witnesses to all the nations. And they didn't have to split up and do language classes to do it. You know, most missionaries I know before they go to a different country where there's a, a non-English language, they go to language school for a long time. And it's pretty brutal. Um, but they didn't have to do that. So some in the crowd are amazed. Others have a different reaction. We keep reading. Uh, some, however, made fun of them. They've had too much wine. Well, then Peter stood up with the eleven. He raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. 
listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. So suddenly this Peter, who couldn't even claim that he knew Christ on the night that Jesus was arrested, is standing before a crowd of thousands. He's raising his voice and he says, it's too early for us to be drunk, guys. People don't get drunk this early in the morning. We haven't had time for that. So listen up. He says in verse 16, no, this, what's happening now, is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. What's happening here is what our scriptures told us would happen. And he quotes this prophecy from the Old Testament, which says, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. Notice that the prophet Joel indicated the Holy Spirit was going to fall on everyone in the family of God, not just the religious elite, not just the men. The Holy Spirit uh, is not patriarchal. It was going to fall on women as well. And this was countercultural great news in a, in a culture where a woman's testimony wasn't even taken seriously in court. But suddenly, she's going to be speaking for God. The Holy Spirit's going to fall on her. And notice, too, the prophecy talks about the old and the young. They're all going to have visions from God and dream dreams. Now, depending on what culture you're from, you may not be highly valued when you're young. Um, there are some cultures that think youth should not speak too much with authority because they lack wisdom and they lack experience. Except here, the message is you don't have to wait till you're 21 to get drunk with the Holy Spirit and for the Holy Spirit to speak through you. Now, in other cultures, and particularly in our culture, the contribution of the more senior, the, the older among us can really be easily discounted. We make all kinds of like senior jokes and old people jokes. And the lie of our culture is that once you retire from your job, once you have gray hair, we're somehow obsolete and disconnected from what really matters. But according to God, even when our eyesight and our hearing is failing, we can see and hear what the Holy Spirit wants to tell us and be a blessing to others. We might retire from our job in the marketplace, but we don't ever retire from the Holy Spirit and the things that the Holy Spirit wants to do in and through you. And then God says, even on my male and female servants, so even in the underclasses, even in the underprivileged ranks of society, I'm going to pour out my spirit. Even among refugees and immigrants, the people culture might tend to disqualify. God does not discriminate by economic or citizenship status going to pour out his spirit on any life that's laid down for him. I have a really dear friend named Ethel who went to be with Jesus in January. And Ethel was a lot of things that this culture doesn't says it doesn't value on the surface. Um, she was in her 80s and her body was pretty stiff from arthritis. Uh, and Ethel was under-resourced. She worked in her late, into her late 70s, um, slowly and painstakingly cleaning a local bookstore in the middle of the night just so that she could pay the rent on her mobile home, which, by the way, she was also in danger of losing because the new owner of, of Gulfview uh, Mobile Home Park in North Liberty had informed the residents that 
land prices were going to be obscenely increased. And Ethel actually made her theatrical movie debut at Film Scene because she's interviewed for the documentary A Decent Home, where um, the documenter, the documentarian, or whatever word I need here, um, is not being supplied. But the person who documented this uh, issue across the country went and interviewed Ethel and her fellow neighbors, and she was talking about this hardship that was being imposed on the neighborhood. So Ethel, Ethel was under-resourced, she was tired, she was a senior, um, but she loved Jesus, and she loved the Holy Spirit, and she had been baptized in the Holy Spirit, and she knew that God was putting people in her path that she could encourage and teach and prophesy to. She didn't have resources to give to them, but every single Thursday night, she opened her home to her friends, but also to acquaintances. And she ministered over the years to people who were homeless, to people who are addicted to drugs, to those who are alcoholics and had mental illness issues. She heard from the Lord and she tenaciously fought to just bring them face to face with Jesus. She went to church every Sunday and served on the prayer team as often as she could. And she was so determined that she wanted to pray for anyone who was sick. And she would be checking on people um, that she'd prayed for previous weeks. How are you doing? I've been praying for you. Um, the Holy Spirit poured out dreams and visions for those God loved on Ethel. And she saw how he wanted to draw them to Jesus. She could see how God wanted to heal them and save them and patch them up and make them whole. And she could speak words that would lead them to life. And the scriptures say that the Holy Spirit will cause people to have dreams and visions. And you might be listening to that right now and think, that doesn't happen to me. I, I don't know that that's ever happened to me. But sometimes these will be literal dreams and visions. And other times they will be mental images and impressions that we have. And that's a way that God speaks to us by his spirit. And we'll have these ideas and impressions and mental images of things that God is doing and saying and what he wants to do. And it's out of those impressions and dreams and visions that you and I begin to understand God's heart for people around us, for situations around us, for our world, for your family, for your workplace. And the Holy Spirit, out of that place of giving you understanding of what God's doing, wants to give you words to help draw people to Jesus. That word prophesy that I just read in that passage and that I've mentioned a couple times, it might feel like an awkward word to you. Um, you might actually think about people in trances or palm readers or psychics. And just as a side note, as your pastor, I would implore you not to visit any of those places to seek spiritual truth. because And we really shouldn't receive any prophetic words into our lives from anyone who's not completely submitted to the Lordship of Jesus and to his church. Scripture commands us not to do that, but I just consider it unwise. I've seen too many people run into trouble because those kinds of spiritual experiences lead us away from the Spirit of God and can often lead us into different spiritual realities to listen to. And that's a sermon for another time. But back to this word prophecy, I like what Rich Velotis says about prophecy and how we we can do that through the power of the Holy Spirit. He makes it sound so normal. He says, to prophesy is not just simply telling the future. To prophesy is to bring forth God's life 
and word for a unique time and a unique place for a unique people that you find yourself in front of? What if God sent you to that job not simply to get a paycheck, but to prophesy? People in your workplace are struggling, suffering. What if God sent you there to offer a word of life to them, encouragement, perspective? What if God sent you to that school not simply to get an education, but because God sent you there to prophesy life and peace and joy? What if God sent you to that neighborhood not to give you a better place to live just for that reason, but also to, de to be a prophetic presence and declare God's praise and truth to the people around you. When you start seeing people with the eyes of the Holy Spirit, you're actually able to see what it would look like for them to be patched up and redeemed and healed and restored. You're able to see the healing that God wants to do, the joy that he wants to bring to them. And as you and I abide in the Holy Spirit, God will give you words of encouragement and words of life to share with others. And it, they won't necessarily be super spiritual sounding and they don't have to be weird. Prophesying to someone through the Holy Spirit might be just calling out the good in them, might be naming uh, their value and their worth, showing honor to them as a unique individual that God has made who may not even know that the creator of the universe values them. So this gospel that we say we all believe, right, this good news about Jesus is not that through Christ we can have forgiveness and go to heaven when we die. It's actually the good news that through Christ we can have forgiveness and we can have a taste of heaven right now because this world is difficult. This world is full of things that are not from heaven, but through the Holy Spirit we can taste eternity right now and the kingdom of God right now. I mentioned a couple weeks ago, if you've ever bought a house or you plan on buying a house, when you make your offer, you have to include a check uh, because um, the buyer needs to know you're serious. And this, this check that you write is called earnest money. It tells them you're in earnest about your offer. And the Holy Spirit is really like God's earnest money to us. The Holy Spirit in our lives, it gives us that taste of the fullness of the kingdom of God that we will experience for eternity. When we're baptized in the Holy Spirit, we get to operate out of that place of tasting the kingdom of God on a regular basis. And not only are we strengthened and encouraged and hopeful, but we're able to offer that strength and encouragement to others. And I just want to say, don't be mistaken. If you're a believer in Jesus, the Holy Spirit already lives in you. But baptism in the Holy Spirit is kind of like um, pouring water on a cup that's already filled up with water. It's like an overflow. That's how a lot of people describe it. What is the way to experiencing more of the Holy Spirit? Well, after Peter's inspired sermon, he said to the crowds, repent and be baptized. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. He said, turn from sin, be, be baptized in water in the name of Jesus, and you receive this gift. The writer of Acts tells us that 3,000 people repented and confessed their faith in Jesus and were baptized in one day. And that's why it's the birthday of the church, because the church, as it was initially known, um, without Jesus in the flesh present, was this situation in Jerusalem of these thousands of believers suddenly um, worshiping together and, and learning together and communing together. 
baptism in the Holy Spirit in Scripture, usually you see it after a person comes to faith in Jesus, but it actually can happen any time. And then Paul even says to the Corinthians, he says, you know what, you should not be drunk with wine, but you should continually be filled up. You should continually be baptized in the Holy Spirit and seeking experiences of the Holy Spirit in our lives. So whether you would say, I've experienced baptism in the Holy Spirit before, or you, um, or you wish to be filled or baptized in the Holy Spirit for the first time, I just want us to return to the point of entry to this life with the Holy Spirit, which is through what Jesus has done on the cross. So I want us to take communion together today and start there as a means of seeking the grace and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Jace, could you grab me one too? <laughs> Thanks. And Milo, you can come up and get, get situated if you want. You want to you toss it to me? Maybe I can catch it. Oh, okay, great. That's probably safer. Um, but can thank you. Communion really reminds us that Jesus died for us. He took on our sin. He recycled violence and vengeance into love and mercy on the cross. And we participate in that reality in communion. We come humbly knowing that it's because of Christ that we can live a life of God, submersed in his spirit. So um, you can have your elements ready, but I want us to just start where the people in the book of Acts started when they heard the good news, because this is a good place for us to return as believers. We'll start with a prayer of confession, and Mark's going to put those words up on the screen, but I invite you just to take a moment, um, just a moment of silence. If there's anything that you want to confess to God, um, a way of thinking that you know is not honoring to him, a, uh, a way of behaving in a relationship that you know is not honoring to him. Just take a moment here to, to have that space, to, to name it to the Lord. And I invite you to pray this prayer with me now. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We've not loved you with our whole heart. We've not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We're truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name, amen. At the Passover meal, Jesus instructed his followers um, he took bread, and when he'd given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, Take, eat. This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So let's take the bread together. After supper, he took the cup of wine, and when he'd given thanks, he gave it to them and said, Drink this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Whenever you drink it, do this for the remembrance of me. Let's take the cup. Now, the second thing that I think we can do right now is just pray, Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come transform us. Holy Spirit, come challenge us. Holy Spirit, come change us. Come convict us. Come embolden us. Come console us. 
flood our hearts with the love of the Father. So I want to invite you to let that be the posture of your heart right now, um, to say, Holy Spirit, come. You're welcome in my life. This is, you know, my, my life, my body, my soul is laid down for you. Thank you so much for listening today. If you'd like more information about our City Church community, go online to www.iowacity.church.